We're in 2 Corinthians in our study, and we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Last week we looked at the first part of this chapter and how Paul uh, dealt with correcting ministerial misunderstandings, and uh, that was the first six verses basically, and we were looking at how to wage spiritual warfare, and and ultimately uh, these divisions and problems that arose out of Corinth at the heart of them really were uh, was, was our enemy which is a spiritual enemy you know Satan who is at work and sometimes he uses people to come in and in this case Paul uh, had those what they call them as Judaizers they were the ones that were coming in and after Paul had left Corinth after spending 18 months there these came in and they began to really subvert the truth and capture people's minds and confuse the work and all kinds of things and then cast doubt on him, on Paul and those that would have been involved in that leadership of the church initially. And so when Paul writes this letter, he's writing it sort of as a defense of himself and his motives and those things. And you certainly see his heart opened as he he pours that out before them. And then you come to this chapter and he deals with this issue of um, spiritual warfare and spiritual authority. That's what we're going to look at tonight, how to use spiritual authority, because Paul addresses his authority with them, and he kind of lays that out in these verses that are to follow. And then um, we may get to the next section, I'm not sure, but we'll look at this here, starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and in verse 7. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ's, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ's, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters, For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, we, when we are absent, such we will be or also be indeed when we are present. And let's pray. Lord, again, we're thankful for your word, thankful for just giving it to us and Lord, as we open up the scriptures even now, help us to understand these things. Help us to be better Christians and followers of you as disciples. And truly, Lord, that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We have here, again, how to use spiritual authority. And Paul kind of lays that out and, you know, kind of keep this in mind that... um, this has always this has been a struggle even before the church age, right? You always had struggles, even among the disciples, remember? They struggled to know who was going to be on the left and who was going to be on the right and who was going to be in charge and who was this and that. And that's, that's kind of human nature, right? It really is. But when it comes to the, the church itself, though there are leader positions and all that, God never intended that someone would be a dictator or that would be... Um, somebody using their authority to lord over others and jesus teaches on that back there in mark chapter 10 and you see this account when it says then james and john 
the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, right? Uh, some there times there's some people that come along and they just kind of want to create a noise, right? I, I use that just in the sense that that's sometimes the role people play, right? They came to him saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now, that I find interesting how he, they address him like that. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. Now, as I see that, I kind of see it like they're coming to Jesus and he, he does address what they're talking about here. And he corrects some of their thinking because their minds, and I'm assuming if Jesus had to correct their thinking, it was improper thinking that was going on, right? It wasn't just, you know, him coming up with something new and he understood what they were thinking. They come to him and it's almost like the genie in the bottle, right? They come and, hey, can we rub the bottle, you know, and see what we can wish for? That kind of thing. Can you just grant us what we ask? And I'm not sure they came to him innocently necessarily. They wanted to have something in this. And they were kind of putting themselves in with Jesus. And they wanted to know what they could get out of it. Really, it was a political move, if you ask me. Because that's kind of the way they're looking at the influence of Jesus as a great teacher. And they're his followers. And surely they would have some prominent role in the kingdom after all the scriptures taught about a kingdom that was to come and they just thought well when jesus becomes is is finally accepted as the messiah here in the land we're going to rule with him and jesus corrects that kind of thinking and uh, by the way that again is just the human heart on display and he goes on to say this but jesus said to them you do not know what you ask I've had those days when you ask for something and you don't know what you're even asking for, right? Sometimes we pray that way. And I'm glad, again, that the Holy Spirit corrects the way we pray because he makes intercession for us and there's times. But here they are, right in the presence of Jesus, and he rebukes them right away. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, Jesus is referring to what is going to take place in through his death, the crucifixion. Uh, now, not to lay all the blame on them, they didn't fully understand that yet. They did not see that part of the ministry of Christ. They did not, well, really, they were not because of lack of knowledge. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They could have easily seen that Messiah was to be cut off and that there was going to be the servant who would come, Isaiah 53, who would be bruised for their iniquities but they didn't see that and it's interesting that that's not uh, even today um, among people that's not the jesus they want to see they want to see the conquering king they want to see the one the messiah who's going to come and set everything in order and they do not want to have the aspect of the suffering identifications and that's what jesus talks about he talks about being drinking of a cup and being baptized with a baptism those are identifiable things. When you drink with a cup with someone, you're identifying with that person, right? When you're baptized, that's the same thing. You're identifying. And the ritual baptisms that the Jews practiced and even the pagans practiced was an identification kind of thing. And then later, of course, believer's baptism being taught that it was an indication of an identification with the Lord publicly, right? And 
we, we have that. And by the way, that was corrected in 1 Corinthians when, Jesus, when Paul writes in Corinthians talking about baptism. And he talks about spirit baptism and being identified with Christ, one body, right? Baptized into one body. Anyways, they just f- sort of, like many of us, flippantly say, sure, I'm ready to do that. I signed up for this. And then when the going got tough, well, we know the story, right? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. And he's telling them that they will suffer. I don't think they understood fully what was coming. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And Jesus could say that as he's standing there on earth at that time. He had given over the will of, or his will, to the will of the Father. And indeed, it is the Father's position to grant that aspect to them. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. (laughs) You know, there's always two, right? And I think this is the truth. Probably the other ten were thinking it, but James and John were the ones that said it. And we've all been in a class somewhere where somebody raises their hand and, you know, you just like, they ask a question and everybody's like, oh, yeah, finally, somebody asked the question, but nobody wanted to. And they did that. And Jesus addresses it. He goes on to say, he called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them. That is how the world works, isn't it? People lord over other people and they get it done. And there's often been said, you know, it's sort of that aspect of being a boss. The boss says go. A leader says let us go, right? We'll go. Uh, and Jesus is saying, this is the way the world works, the nations, right? And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you deserves or desires, excuse me, to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And of course, the teaching of Jesus was on servanthood. And when Paul comes to this section of Corinthians, he doesn't pull rank on them. He doesn't lord over them, even though he could have by authority. After all, he was an apostle. He was given really privileged authority uh, in the sense that, that the Lord chose those Uh, ones to go out and represent him and it was Paul I believe that was really used to open up much of the gospel to the Gentiles and yet you know you see him involved in that he could have certainly said I saw the resurrected Christ and there he was on the road to Damascus and he commanded me after of course he had received his sight and all of that but back to that he doesn't do that he doesn't do it at all and I just say that There are two ways to, or many different ways to lead, certainly, but there are those that come along and um, they want to lay out all their credentials and maybe they use flowery big words and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, it was Warren Wiersbe's comments on this when he talked about going to a conference where uh, a man stood up and for about uh, two hours lectured with just these great big, you know, 
probably theological sayings, all that kind of stuff. And he used very little scripture during that couple hours. And, and as they were departing from that, uh, one of his friends said, um, I think he said 1 Kings 19.11 would describe what we just heard. And that, of course, in that verse it says, but the Lord was not in the wind. <laughs> and there's times that that's kind of the way it is, right? Uh, people think that they'll be automatically, uh, you know, in a position of spiritual authority because they have maybe those a big vocabulary or lots of degrees behind their name, that kind of stuff. Paul understood that that was not the way it worked. And his authority, um, he, he didn't want to exercise it in an unspiritual manner like everybody else does you know it's one thing when you go to a place of work or a place where there's some kind of structure to leadership and that kind of thing and you know someone who's not a follower of christ exercises that lordship that is cruel sometimes right and yet it shouldn't be that way in the church right we should be driven or led by the holy spirit in those things dictators right and uh, there are lots of people that are out there like that Um, sometimes honestly i I, and i've said this before uh, i have been in churches that sometimes it's only after the fact that they had someone that was sort of like that a dictator of sorts that just came in pulled his authority his weight and all that stuff and then just ran over the people and usually they blow in and they blow out just as as fast and in their wake are a lot of people that are just they're kind of beat up over that and the corinthian church was suffering because the judaizers had come in and were pulling rank and they were casting doubt on the authority of paul and paul kind of says to them this way and when he talks about the genuineness of his faith and their faith that he didn't come as a counterfeit matter of fact if he had come as a counterfeit then their faith was in vain and the church was really not a church and he tells them indeed that they came and uh, the lord was in that wasn't he and he including in the humility that he had in uh, chapter 8 verse 1 of first corinthians he says um now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And again, there are those that might come along and say, look, I, I have all the study in, I know all these things, and, and the knowledge aspect of things, but the love aspect is truly what builds that up. It's easy for someone that has a lot of knowledge in a, in a certain area, right, to come in to a room, I don't care what subject it is, and then all of a sudden just hammer everybody else that doesn't have that knowledge. It's another thing to come in and love people as a leader should do, as Paul did, and he demonstrated that time and time again, and build that up in them as they see the truth played out in the way it should. And that's the best kind of truth, right? As far as truth is truth, but it's the best way to learn truth is when it's driven in through love and not just by pulling rank and exercising authority, right? Second Corinthians chapter 1. When Paul was, remember, defending himself, he says, For our boasting is this, 
The testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity. That is how his ministry operated. If you wanted a mission statement of the, you know, the organization of the Apostle Paul, if he was in a mission, he, he had Paul, right? And uh, one, some, somebody once said the only board that he ever had, including a mission board, was the board that he clung to when he was shipwrecked, right? So you know, someone made a joke about that one day. But um, simplicity and godly sincerity, those two things right there will go a long ways, won't they? Not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understood. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. Then he says, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. You know, if, if Paul was to come, um, and I'm, I'm thinking about the, the differences here, you have these Judaizers, and the Judaizers came with lots of knowledge. Uh, they came with a command of Scripture, but they didn't use it appropriately, and it wasn't in sincerity, and it wasn't in love. Where Paul comes, and he doesn't come with all the credentials. I mean, he certainly could have boasted. Remember, elsewhere, he, he talks about his own background. He was a Jew born of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, named after the great Benjamin, my king, Saul, most likely. Um, you know, here he went to the school of Gamaliel, the premier school of the day, and he was a Pharisee, and of the Pharisees, he was a zealot. He was even part of a real select few that went into that. And yet that's not what he bragged. And it was, as he said, counted as rubbish, right? Paul's credentials were in his really were, were in his actions and his history when you think about it when somebody came up and would ask you know wonder if the apostle paul is genuine all paul would have had to do is pull up his sleeve and maybe take down his his outer robe there a little bit and show you the marks on his back or the scars that were probably all over his body you know probably the place where the wound healed as he was hit with stones and left for dead you know those kind of things and somebody say i wonder if he he's got all the credentials and you'd say he's got the marks of the lord jesus he's genuine he said that galatians six seventeen. for now on let no one trouble me for i bear in my body the marks of the lord jesus that's the greatest really credentials that a christian can have not just the physical marks but the marks that are on the heart right the very heart others will take note of that but indeed sometimes it is physical marks that people have suffered greatly because they were christians and when you say does that i wonder if that person really believes what they preach and they when when you had an apostle paul in front of you that had all these marks and they were evidenced you'd say he must he must be genuine. Chronologically, the oldest book in the Bible is, well, Book of Galatians and James. They, they're about the same dating, very close. And uh, the book of James, James the Just, as he was known, he was been the brother of the Lord Jesus. That's most likely the James that wrote the book of James. And James was known as Old Camel Knees. 
That's how a second century historian described him with numerous other descriptions about the man. But he, um, he was somebody that uh, had, would pray regularly in the temple. And he was often found there alone on his knees. And if you wanted to know where James was, as he was called, old camel knees. If you've ever seen a camel, they have like, you know, thick calloused knees because it helps, you know, when they kneel on hot sand that they don't burn their knees, I guess. And, and James had knees like a camel. And when you'd ask somebody to come along and say, what are your credentials on prayer? Well, let's talk to James. He could write a book right he did he wrote a book and in that book he talks about prayer but if you think of the backdrop of the book of james and the history you know of james who was called old camel knees he was probably a great man of prayer james chapter 5 verse 10 my brethren take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord as an example of suffering and patience Indeed, we count them blessed to endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. And again, this coming from a man who was a man of prayer, a very sincere man, uh, from what history tells us and obviously from what um, what he writes he says let your word be your word you know and then he says is anyone among you suffering let him pray now when James goes to that you think about it those that knew James of that first century okay they, they knew him firsthand, and they knew him and when they said James is going to talk about prayer now you would have listened up Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. You know, James was, uh, again, from the second century, the historian that wrote of him, described him as a man who would be solitary found solitarily on his knees in the temple praying for the forgiveness of his people later would be those same people that would throw him from the pinnacle of the temple i think is uh, what fox's book of martyrs says and here's a man that through his prayer through his suffering through these things he was a man that was um he could tell you about prayer he had the credentials The credentials were seen on his knees. And he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think James could have said that firsthand. I wasn't as so much, uh, so often, you know, thinking, well, that's for those that are really spiritual. No, he, he understood that firsthand. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. 
Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Isn't that, it's, it's such an interesting little passage there in that chapter 5 of James because he seems to go from, you know, talking about the prophets to talking about prayer, talking about the sick, then talking about forgiveness of sin. But all that's wrapped up in that. James had the right credentials, didn't he? It wasn't James the one who was in the family of Jesus. It was James the one who, as the outside world called old camel knees. <laughs> he learned and he would have been one that would have come to know the Lord later. We need that kind of ministry, don't we? To do that. Psalm 95 6 says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Daniel chapter 6. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times a day, prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since his early days. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Luke 5, 8. How about Ephesians chapter 3? Paul writes here that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. When Paul lays out his credentials his credentials were the lord working in him and the power that was there you know i think paul again was a man of prayer we know that we see that in his life he goes on to say to me who am less than the least of all saints this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make all See what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has hid, been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. And he says, for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And, uh, you know, that's, that's really what it was about. When Paul defends his, his authority and exercises his spiritual authority, he does so showing that his authority indeed came from the Lord. And it wasn't just coming in and, and uh, lording over people. Um, and I think that's, that's a great example for all of us, isn't it? Well, I'm going to quit there. Next week we'll look at how to measure spiritual ministry. And so you have the aspect of spiritual warfare, spiritual authority, but then spiritual ministry. And again, so often spiritual ministry is uh, what, what people try to measure it by is the amount of people that are sitting in your pews or come to your, your, ta- your church, is that what it's all about? No. 
Lord, thank you for your word. Help us to be people of the book and people of prayer and humble and sincere and simple in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.